A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. This is the Great Northern War, 1700 to 1721, including the Battle of Poltava of 1709, part one. Before I continue, let me introduce another podcast which I can heartily recommend, The Warlords of History. I'm Mark Pimenta, the host of the Warlords of History podcast, focused on intriguing warriors and leaders, ancient and medieval, that were titans during their respective ages, where, over several episodes, we'll review each of their lifetimes and actions, but also take this further by exploring the surrounding environmental and political conditions, their motivations for taking on the mantle of war. We'll cover what they did, how they did it, and finally, what their legacy was beyond their demise. If any of this interests you, join me as we dive into each of their lifetimes, their worlds, in the Warlords of History podcast, available on all major podcast platforms or accessed via warlordsofhistory.com. Thank you, Mark, and now back to the main show. At the mouth of the River Neva, on the Gulf of Finland, stands St Petersburg, one of the most attractive cities in Europe. Set around a pretty network of waterways and grand palaces, Peter, as it is known by its local inhabitants, still retains more of a Western European feel than does the capital Moscow. Its foundation in 1703 by Peter the Great as a window in the West was an important step in the rise of Russia as a great power, and her growing influence in particular in the Baltic Sea, and as a testament to the energy, ambition and leadership of Peter as one of the most important figures of the 18th century. Less than a hundred years before its construction, Russia, or Muscovy, as it is more often referred to by historians in this period, was an unstable, backward state on the periphery of the continent. Its period of most intensive crisis, known as the Time of Troubles, began in 1598, of the death of Tsar Theodor I. As the last of the Rurik dynasty, Theodor's death triggered a succession crisis, with numerous usurpers claiming the crown. Russia experienced a terrible famine from 1601 to 1603. Then, during the Polish-Muscovite War of 1605-18, much of its territory was occupied by forces of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth until they were expelled in 1612. The time of troubles ended with the election of Michael Romanov as Tsar, establishing the Romanov dynasty which ruled Russia 
until the February Revolution of 1917. Merkel acted cautiously, working in partnership with a nobility naturally yearning for a return to peace. One of his first acts was to end a war with Sweden. In the Treaty of Stolbova, the city of Novgorod was returned to Muscovy in return for the ceding of Ingria and Karelia, regions in the far east of the Gulf of Finland, which left Sweden dominating the Baltic Sea for the next century. In addition, Russia renounced all claims to Estonia and Livonia and agreed to pay Sweden war indemnities. The war against Sweden highlighted the urgent need to reform the army, which had proved unable to cope well against a more modern infantry, equipped with the latest firearms and trained to move in close formation. The army was once more tested when Moscow tried to take advantage of an interregnum of the Polish throne to regain the city of Smolensk in 1632-34. To prepare for war, Moscow hired foreign mercenaries at great expense and purchased huge quantities of iron lead for casting cannon and making bullets. However, the failure of the siege of Smolensk demonstrated more reform was required and that Moscow needed to create its own standing infantry forces, trained in the latest military tactics, though for now usually commanded by foreigners. In order to finance military expansion, taxes were raised. Although not always straightforward, there were riots in 1648 against taxes on salt. Russia was well on its way to becoming a fiscal military state to an even greater extent than the rest of Europe. Its whole structure was determined by the need to recruit soldiers, to levy taxes and impose state service of various kinds. In legislation passed in 1649, known as the Urigenia, peasants were forced by law to remain in the place where they were registered. In this system, known today as serfdom, individuals were obliged to work entirely on tasks as defined by the landowner and given the death sentence if they tried to move elsewhere. Serfdom, writes Geoffrey Husking, had a profound and lasting influence on all Russian and political institutions. Quote, It perpetuated and strengthened a collectivist outlook on social problems. Joint responsibility was confirmed not just as an administrative device, but as the manner in which Russians of both town and country tackled the difficulties of survival in a harsh environment. It probably made possible the conquest, consolidation and defence of a huge and diverse empire. On the other hand, it also impeded the development of private property and of personal and political freedoms. It confirmed the dominance of persons, rather than of institutions or laws throughout society. The social structures that developed in Russia thus stood in stark contrast to those of Western Europe, where personal freedom, in some areas more than in others, were protected. Already at the time, contemporary observers criticised the system. Giles Fletcher wrote the Russian townspeople, quote, give themselves to idleness and drinking, because the people, being oppressed and spoiled of their gettings, are discouraged from their labours. And the modern historian Peter Neville described the Origenia as a recipe for social and economic 
inertia. The other significant development in the reign of Michael was Russia's continued expansion eastwards. Russian merchants, clergymen, Cossacks and peasants were all encouraged to settle in the newly acquired regions of the former Khanates of Kazan and Astrakhan. This was to encourage an ethnic Russian presence there to take advantage of the new economic opportunities in the Volga Basin and to build and man fortresses on a new frontier. Muscovite authorities adopted a reasonably tolerant policy towards the ethnic groups so as not to provoke insurrection. And an early campaign to impose Christian orthodoxy was swiftly abandoned. After the assimilation of the Volga Khanates, the way lay open to the rich forests, lakes and river country beyond the Urals. Already under Ivan the Terrible, a certain Grigory Stroganov had started to make major inroads into Siberia. Working with bands of Cossacks, he established a network of fishing, hunting, mining and agricultural operations. There he met resistance from the Khan of Siberia. Stroganov defended his acquisitions with fortified towns and fought the Siberian Tatar troops in battle, inflicting a final defeat in the year 1598, and so subjugated the Khanate. The way now lay open to the wider stretches of Siberia. In the year 1627, Russian troops built a fortress at Kresnoyarsk on the river Yenisei, another in 1632 at Yakutsk on the river Lena, and in 1643 they discovered Lake Bakal. Then in 1648 an advance party reached the Pacific coast at the Bay of Ohotsk. These explorations could not be called territorial expansion. It was more a case of Cossacks and freebooting adventurers exploiting the land for its natural resources, mostly furs, which were much sought after in the courts of Renaissance Europe. The native tribes were unable to prevent this exploitation of their territories, for they had no firearms and did not unite against the invaders. The acquisition of such huge territory transformed the nature of the Russian state. By the time of the mid-17th century, it had become the largest empire on earth, with a great diversity of peoples of different religions, including Muslims, Buddhists and numerous animists. Siberia also, from early on, was used by the Russians as a place of exile for those who fell out of favour with the authorities. When Tsar Michael died in 1645 and was succeeded by his 16-year-old son, Alexei, the process of recovery from the time of troubles was almost complete. The state no longer lived in daily fear of foreign invasions, serious rivals to the throne or internal collapse. Alexei's earliest challenges were associated with a major revolt among the Cossacks in 1648, as described in an earlier podcast. With the Cossacks on their side and their own army reformed, the Muscovites fought a successful campaign against Poland to retake Smolensk. In the Treaty of Andrusova, Muscovy received also the whole of the left bank Ukraine in Kiev. Alexei augmented his title 
declaring himself Tsar of all great and little and white Russia, to reinforce his claims to the newly conquered territories. Russia hence moved a giant step forward towards establishing itself permanently upon the Black Sea and also placing itself in a position closer to Central Europe. This was the first time the Ukrainians had their own state recognised and it took the Cossack name of Hetmanate. But it would always face great difficulties establishing true independence from its more powerful neighbours. In the next decades, the Russians gradually whittled down the privileges of the Cossacks, while the frustrated Hetmanate periodically flirted with the idea of returning to the Polish fold. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Although Alexei's reign was relatively peaceful, incursions from the south by Crimean Tatars and Turks remained a constant threat, as did to a lesser extent from the west by the Poles and Swedes. Alexei was interested in ecclesiastical affairs and elected as Patriarch of the Russian Church a former abbot named Nikon. In 1653, Nikon established a series of reforms that aimed to bring the practices of the Russian Orthodox Church into line with its Greek counterpart. He insisted on better discipline within the monastic houses and revised Russian liturgy, such as mandating the use of three fingers instead of two in making the sign of the cross. This resulted in significant dissent among the church community. In the year 1666, the Tsar attempted to resolve disagreements by convening church leaders. The Synod agreed to formally depose Nikon, but also decided to excommunicate all who opposed the reforms of the church. Those opponents broke away from the official Russian Orthodox Church to form the Old Believers Movement, which persisted for the next two centuries. Its adherents moved to the frontier territories, especially to the far north, where local communities were still able to maintain a degree of independence from the authorities. Many old believers fled south, where they became involved in a rebellion whose origins had little to do with church reform, but everything to do with the wider issues of centralisation, authoritarianism and the overriding of local communities. 
the Muscovite government, concerned about attempts by Cossacks to assert a degree of independence, reduced the number of Cossacks that it was prepared to register and pay. This was the background to a renewed insurrection led by a Cossack military commander named Stenka Razin. In the summer of 1670, Razin captured Astrakhan and then advanced up the Volga towards Moscow, gathering around him a large and diverse army of insurgents. His Cossack troops were joined by other ethnic groups, Tatars, Chuvash and Mordvins, angry at growing taxes and pressure to convert to orthodoxy. A large number of Russian peasants also joined, alienated at the imposition of serfdom, and took the opportunity to murder their lords or plunder their estates. Much of the Middle Volga was consumed by insurgency, until Razin's army was defeated in September 1670. The next May he was captured, taken to Moscow in an iron cage and hanged, drawn and quartered on Red Square as a rebel and traitor. The insurrection was put down savagely, according to David Sturdy, resulting in some 100,000 deaths and leaving much of the Volga Basin in a state of devastation. Razin's legend, however, lived on as he became a hero of popular legend as a Cossack leader who resisted Tsarist autocracy and fought for the liberties of his people and of peasants who joined him against Russian autocracy. Alexei died suddenly at the age of 47 and was succeeded by his eldest son, Fyodor. Aged 14, on his ascension to the throne, Fyodor had a fine intellect and was affable and kind-hearted, but was physically disabled from birth, disfigured by a mysterious disease, thought possibly to be scurvy. He founded an academy of sciences and lessened the severity of penal laws. His most long-lasting reform was the abolition of the system of aristocratic preference, known as the Misnichestva. This system had made all state appointments dependent on the candidate's social rank, which naturally led to inefficiency in government. However, the sickly Fyodor lived only six years on the throne before he passed away, and a struggle ensued in which the families of Alexei's two wives contended for power. Fyodor's younger brother, Ivan, the youngest son of Alexei's first wife, Maria Miloslavskaya, was heir to the throne. However, he was retarded mentally and physically, and so his ten-year-old brother, Peter, from Alexis's second wife, Natalia Navishkina, was made co-ruler. The young boy would go on to gain great fame, and later be known as Peter the Great, but his first years as Tsar were very turbulent. The regency of Natalia lasted only two weeks before the Miloslavskaya clan organised a coup, and together with the Strozzi, Moscow's garrison, butchered many of Natalia's family. The outcome was a compromise where the 16-year-old Ivan and the 10-year-old Peter came to rule jointly, with Sophia, Ivan's elder sister, as regent. 
The daughters of Tsars were normally confined to convents, but Sophia was a strong-willed woman and determined to avoid this fate. In order to strengthen her position in court, Sophia needed a military victory. The task chosen was to try and end once and for all the threat of Tartar rage from the south, and at the same time seize the fertile steppes north of the Black Sea. It was a significant logistical challenge, for the Russian army had to be moved with all its supplies and equipment across hundreds of miles of sun-baked plains before it could ever begin campaigning. When they tried it in 1687, the Crimean Khan simply burned the steppe grasses in front of their troops, so that their horses had no fodder. Two years later they tried again, and this time reached the fortress of Perakop, which guarded the isthmus leading to the Crimean Peninsula. However, supplies ran out and the siege had to be abandoned. The failure of this campaign helped give Peter and his supporters the confidence to challenge Sophia. In the same year, Peter called on Sophia to resign as regent. At first she was prepared to resist by force, but in September gave up the struggle and was compelled to join a convent. Still, Peter did not acquire control over Russian affairs. Power was instead exercised by his mother, Natalia. It was only when she died in 1694 that Peter, now aged 22, became an independent sovereign. Peter became the sole ruler two years later when Ivan V died in 1696. Physically, the young Tsar was very tall, almost seven feet high, and always seemed to be full of energy and often impatient. While still co-ruler, Peter was confident enough of his position to travel abroad. From his youth, he had many foreigners as close friends, including General Patrick Gordon, a Scottish mercenary, who was one of several Jacobites who fled to Moscow after the English Civil War. Another friend was the Dutchman Franz Timmerman, who taught Peter mathematics, geometry and the elements of navigation, three disciplines which later helped to inspire Peter's enthusiasm for ships and sailing. Peter's early reign coincided with the Great Turkish War of 1683 to 1699, when, as described earlier, the Austrian Habsburgs scored several victories over the Ottomans after the Siege of Vienna, leading up to the Battle of Zenta. In 1686, Russia became an associate member of the Anti-Ottoman Holy League, which also included Vienna and Venice. This was the first time Russia had joined a major European alliance, a step towards becoming a full member of the European diplomatic system. European powers were beginning to appoint permanent diplomatic representatives to each other's courts, and Peter realised he had to do the same to absorb and assimilate the rules of European power politics. He was the first Russian monarch to consciously train young members of aristocratic families as diplomats, and thus to plug Russia into the European network. The statesmen of Western Europe were increasingly obsessed with Spain as the childless Carlos II became increasingly ill. The Holy Roman Emperor 
Leopold I started to wind down his engagements in the east as he prepared to contest the Spanish succession. Jan Sobieski, King of Poland, died in 1696 and his successor, August II, could not persuade the nobility to continue the war. Only Peter was still enthusiastic about continuing the war, with hopes of pushing back the Ottomans from the shores of the Black and Caspian Seas. In the year 1695, Peter mustered an army with the intention of seizing the Turkish fortress of Azov at the mouth of the River Don. This campaign was no more successful than those of his recent predecessors, but confirmed to Peter the importance of sea power and the necessity of re-equipping his forces, this time with Western help. He imported miners, engineers and carpenters from Austria and Germany and ship designers from the Netherlands, and over winter he personally worked with them at the city of Voronezh on the River Don. The next year, 1696, he launched another assault, and this time it surrendered. The capture of Azov was a spectacular victory, and widely celebrated in Moscow and other towns in Russia. Peter travelled to Western Europe in 1697, partly to encourage his fellow monarchs to continue the war, but also as a general fact-finding mission of Western European technology. He was unable to persuade any leader to commit to war against the Ottomans, but nevertheless made the most of his trip. Wherever he went, he took the opportunity to study the most up-to-date techniques in shipbuilding and military technology, and also Western culture and intellectual life. For example, he attended anatomy lectures in Leiden, inspected shipbuilding in the Netherlands and England. On Peter's return to Russia, he launched an assault on traditional Russian symbols and forms of dress. He introduced Western dress to his court, required courtiers, state officials and the military to shave their beards and adopt modern clothing styles. One means of achieving this was the introduction of taxes for long beards and robes. During Peter's voyage, he met Frederick III, Elector of Brandenburg, and August II, who had recently been elected to the Polish throne, was also the Elector of Saxony. These encounters encouraged Peter to divert his military away from the Ottomans and instead towards Sweden, and so regain a foothold on the Baltic Sea. In 1699, he signed an alliance with Augustus, soon joined with Denmark for a joint attack on Sweden, which would end up triggering the Great Northern War, 1700 to 1721. It's always great to hear from you, either on the Facebook page, Twitter at History Europe KB, KB for Key Battles, or you can write to me directly, Carl at C-A-R-L at HistoryEurope.net. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash history europe where you can sign up for three dollars a month to gain some extra material i'm about to undergo an operation and some radiotherapy so i may be quiet in the next uh, two or three months but i still try to um, continue the schedule of episodes 
I've pre-recorded the episodes on the Great Northern War, so they'll be coming out as usual. So I hope you can tune in for the next episode. Until then, all the best and goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.